0: The question I want to ask today is: What do we do when we're wronged by other people? All right, and that's that's a uh, easy one for us to ask, I think, because I think it doesn't take very long in our lives to finally realize, oh, people are doing wrong to me. Right? Uh, if you're in kindergarten, at some point in time, some kindergartner did something wrong to you, or maybe you wronged someone in kindergarten as well. Right? All right, and and oftentimes the one thing that we want to do. Uh, when we are wronged, is we want to get even, right? Uh, The old saying goes, and it's true, okay? Two wrongs do not make a right, right, okay? When we wrong somebody in response to being wronged, it doesn't end up making everything better. Uh, And it's a sad thing that it does, but for whatever reason, uh, we want to get even. And I think the reason we want to get even is because it makes us feel better, doesn't it? If we've been hurt, If we're hurting and we can make someone else hurt as much as we are hurt, it makes us feel just a little bit better. But in reality, it doesn't fix the problem. I was in fifth grade and uh, our fifth grade was still a part of the elementary school, but they were preparing us for middle school. And uh, in middle school, you know, you travel from class to class to class. And so our uh, fifth grade teachers decided that we're going to train them how to do this. And so for two periods, all right, two uh, lessons, math and English, uh, we were moved from our classroom to another classroom uh, depending upon our ability and skills in those two subjects. I remember uh, moving uh, to the English class that I was taking English in and coming back to my normal class afterwards uh, and finding my desk completely empty. You know, I was I'm putting my book in, trying to find my other book, and there was nothing there. There was no pencil box, there was no textbooks, there was no homework. I had no idea what happened to it. Uh, I started searching around the room, and uh, our, I don't know about your elementary classrooms, but ours had these movable uh, coat closets, right? All right, and underneath those movable coat closets was all my stuff so I had to pick it up, reorganize it, because I wasn't very organized as a kid, Uh, reorganize it, put it back in my desk, and I asked myself, who did that? And I finally found out who it was, and I waited until math, all right, because that was the other subject where they got up, and I stayed in the classroom. They got up, and they left, and I went over to their desk, and you know what I did? I took all their stuff and tossed it underneath uh, the cloak closets, all right? I got back at them. I got even with them, and That was very childish, okay, we laugh at I can laugh at it now, okay, I I did get in trouble, the teacher found out that I had done it, and you know who got in trouble for all that? It was me, not him, all right, so don't get even, because they always catch the second person, not the first, all right, just, that's also something to keep in mind as well, all right. But when we are adults, and we become vengeful, and we try to get even, it can result in harm. Uh, London, over the past month, has experienced a number of different terrorist attacks as resulted in many being dead and many more injured. Uh, This man from Wales last Sunday uh, decided that he needed to get even uh, with the extreme Muslims that had done this. And so he rented out a van uh, from his uh, county of Wales and he drove it all the way to London and waited until the mosque was letting out and decided to drive the van on the sidewalk, hitting the Muslims as they are leaving uh, their worship service. He uh, ended up killing at least one and injuring many other. And it was out of vengefulness, out of taking justice into his own hands, that it resulted in harm. See, when we take vengeance and we try to get even and retribution for things that were done to us, it often is easy to do to get even, but it results in harmful situations, and nothing changes. See, when we get even, the situation that we're feeling pain for, the situation that we are, are dealing with in our own lives, it's not better. It isn't solved by us getting even with somebody else. In fact, if anything, it results in more people being hurt than there should be. All right? So we want to talk about this. All right, the Israelites, they had a period in their lives, many periods, where they decided to get even rather than to seek the justice of God. And one of those passages of scriptures that talks about this is judges chapter 20 and so we're going to be there today uh, reading in judges 20 about uh, the various things that are going on there uh, judges 20 is part of the last three chapters of the book of judges that tells one story uh, we started reading about the story last week uh, last week we were introduced to a Levite and his concubine uh, the Levite uh, was traveling to get his concubine back and as they were, Heading back home, they stop at the town of Gibeah, and some wicked men of the town uh, decided to rape the concubine, resulting in her death. And so Judges 20 kind of continues that story, discussing uh, how they handled that mess. Uh, I want us to just briefly read the last two verses of chapter 19. Uh, they're verses 29 through 30. They're going to be on the screen here. It says, when we, he reached home, the Levite, Uh, He took a knife and he cupped up his concubine limb by limb into 12 parts, and he sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it was saying to one another, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the days the Israelites came out of Egypt. Just imagine, we must do something, so speak up. And so what we see happen is this concubine or this Levite is is really distraught over what has happened. And we read a very gruesome scene here where he cuts up his concubine and sends it out. And it's gruesome. This whole story has been gruesome. It will continue to be gruesome here in the next couple weeks. All right. Uh, So we got to kind of get past that and kind of look at the significance of what's taking place. Uh, We're not really understanding what he's doing here but we do know that this has happened before and will happen again in fact uh, in first samuel king saul will uh, rally the people of israel uh, to stand for jabesh gilead the town and and he will cut up an animal into 12 pieces and send it out and so what's kind of happening here is a rally call come and listen come and hear what needs to be done And these people, they're astonished because it's a person, not a human, that's been cut up. And they're like, something big has just happened. Something needs to be done. And it's a summons for all of them to come and to listen. And it's a summons for the Levite to cry out for justice. And it's important that we understand the difference between justice and vengeance. See, justice is done when we find retribution for sins in this world according to the way God has ordained it. It's, it's recognizing that at some point in time, God is going to bring final judgments, and there should be peace in understanding that, but knowing that in the flesh, we want things to be fixed now. And so God has set out ways for us to fix sin in the world. It's justice. It's getting what is deserved of them. Vengeance, on the other hand, it looks very similar to justice, but vengeance is when we do things to bring retribution to make us feel better, to make something about ourselves feel just a little bit better that this has been fixed. And oftentimes it's all about attitude. Are we seeking God's way or are we seeking what I think is right? And because it's a lot about attitude, it's sometimes really hard to distinguish the two. There are many people who seek vengeance in this world and they call it justice. At the same time, there's many people that seek justice and it turns into vengeance along the way when it becomes personal. And there's a very fine line that has to be walked when we're discussing this. And within this story, what we're going to see is that the Israelites, they came to seek justice and it turns into a story of, of vengeance, where they get even for wrongs done to them. So let's, uh, let's read this. Uh, chapter 20, starting in verse 1, uh, we read that all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba and from the land of Gilead, came together as, as one, and they assembled before the Lord at Mizpah. The leaders of all the people of the tribe of Israel took their places in the assembly of God's people, 400,000 men armed with swords. Uh, the Benjamites heard that the Israelites had gone to Mizpah. However, they weren't there. And the Israelites said, tell us how this awful thing happened. Uh, this is one of the uh, largest gatherings that the Israelites had had since the beginning of the invasion of Canaan. Uh, and it's pretty uh, early on in the period of the judges we read as the last story of the book of judges but they're all working together which is not what happens near the end of the judges periods all right so we can probably assume that they are near the beginning of this period and they're coming together and notice that they are armed for battle see the israelites they have already made up their mind that they are going to do something they don't even know what's happened all right, they're coming and they're saying, "Something has to happen. Let's go fight people, let's go kill them, let's do what we needs to be done." And they don't even know the story. So once they've all gathered together, the, they turn to the Levi and they say, "Tell us what's happened." And then Levi, he, he tells the story of, of Judges 19 in three verses. Uh, which we don't, we're not going to read. We've already kind of talked about it again. Uh, but verse 7, I think, is very important. As he's wrapping up his story, he says this. He says, now all you Israelites speak up and tell me what you have decided to do. I mean, he gets to the end of his story and he says, okay, what now? What are you going to do about what has been done to me? It's a call for action. It's a call I think we all would ask in that same spot. If it had happened to us, we would say, what are you going to do about it? Well, the Israelites respond this way, verses 8 through 11. They say, all the men rose up together as one, and they said to each other, none of us will go home. No, not one of us will return to his house, but now this is what we're going to do for God. To Gibeah. They're going to cast lots and decide who goes up before them. They're going to gather their armies, all right? And then their armies are going to arrive in Gibeah in verse 10, uh, and, it, and it's going, they're going to give them what they deserve for this outrageous act done in Israel, verse 11. So all the Israelites got together and unite as one against the city. And so essentially, what they decide after listening to the Levite story is we're going to give them what they deserve. And, and notice how they, how they phrase that, right? They're going to give them what they deserve. All right? They're not even going to listen to their side of the story. They're not going to, to do any more discussion. They deserve death, which they do, all right? and that's what they are going to get. And this story shifts from one of justice to one of vengeance. See, it wasn't the whole town that deserved to die. But yet, yeah, it is the whole town that's in their mind. It was only the wicked men of that city that had done this thing. And, and what's interesting in all of this is, is as the Levites telling their story, they don't even bother to listen to anyone else. And this is where they start to sidestep justice. They, they expedite the process without going through all the steps. And by doing that, they pervert it to vengeance. See the men of Gibeah; they, they had the right to to testify and to witness about what they had done. Now, had they had done this, the outcome would still be the same because what they did was detestable; it was wrong; it was worthy of death. However, they had the right to a judge; they had a right to stand up and say, "This is what took place," and by sh- Sidestepping that, we sidestep justice for just a moment. Now, the Hebrews, they had, they had a complex set of laws in place to try to keep justice the forefront of all that they did. And I want us just for, for a moment just to go through some of those laws and kind of understand why what they're doing is not justice, but rather vengeance. Uh, the first one is uh, from Leviticus 19.16, and it reads like this. Uh, it's going to appear on the screen says, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. And this is probably one of the key laws that these people broke, right? All right, we could have brought up others, you know, don't rape people, don't uh, disregard hospitality. But this is definitely one that they, they definitely broke, right? Do not endanger the life of a fellow Israelite. Well, obviously that, that didn't happen, right? By uh, raping the concubine and causing her to die, they had endangered her life. All right, and so they had definitely broken this, and the result of her dying was that they were worthy of death. But they deserved a trial. See, the Hebrews, in their society and their culture, judges were important. Anything that took place was to be presented before a judge. What, even this Levite was to bring his case before a judge and let the judge sit in judgment. Uh, judges were so important in their society that the, Moses, throughout uh, the, the first five books, kind of talks about judges, how they're appointed, and what they are to do. Uh, one of these verses is Deuteronomy 16, 18, when he says this. Appoint judges and officials for each of the, your tribes in every town, the Lord your God is giving to you. So they're supposed to appoint judges in every town, even in Gibeah. And he says, They are t- they shall judge the people fairly. All right, they are to follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land that the Lord your God is giving you. See, these judges were supposed to be of outstanding Character. They were not to be able to be bribed. They weren't to take bribes. They weren't to, supposed to show partiality towards the rich, nor were they supposed to show difference to the poor. All right? If two people, despite their social status, had an issue and they came before the judge, the judge was to give them justice. Fairly. And throughout the Old Testament, even beyond this, we read that God tells the Israelites, if you pervert justice, if you do not give justice, I will not be with you. And so justice was important to their society. But justice was always done in front of a judge who made the decision. And when we look at the story of the Levi bringing in the Israelites, we have to ask this question, where are the judges? Because they're not here. Now, this is a special case. This is something that had not been seen before, uh, nor seen since. And so it makes sense that they gather together to decide what to do. But the leaders are not necessarily the judges. Right, and, and what do you do in these special cases? Well, luckily, Moses thought of this. God thought of this, and speaking through Moses, he says this in Deuteronomy 17, verse 8. He says, if cases come before you that, your courts are too, that are too difficult for your courts to decide, all right, whether it's bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, take them to the place of the Lord, all right, take them to the tabernacle, all right, and, and go to the priest's, And to the judge who is in office at the time and inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. You must act according to the decisions that they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. And so if there is a special case, you were to bring it to the tabernacle, which is probably what the Levite does. And you're to let the priests decide. It's like an appeals court, right? They get to decide on these very special cases so it's set up if we're talking about justice being what god has set up and decided this is how you should do it the israelites they have all the steps bring it to the judges well where are the judges bring it to the priests where are the priests the priests don't appear until they start to ask god what they should do no, they're sidestepping all these things that God has told them to do, and along the way, they are perverting justice. One last very important one that we should read is Deuteronomy 19.15, which says this, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of a crime or offense that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And when we look at this story, the Levite is the only one who tells his story. There are other witnesses. The Levite had a servant who was in the house with him. The house belonged to a man of Ephraim. There were other people that witnessed what had taken place in the offense that was so devastating. But never once are they called upon. Never once are they asked to tell them and to collaborate the Levite story. And this is where it's a hard line, right? Because had they done these things, it would have been justice, and the result ends up being the same. All right? These men are worthy of death. But by not going through this process, it takes away this idea of justice and turns it into vengeance. I need somebody to correct and we are ignoring what God has already established as the way they should live. It's hard line, but it's there. The uh, Israelites, they gather together. Uh, they come to the town of Gibeah. In verse 12, we're told that the Israelites uh, send messengers throughout the tribes of Benjamin saying, What about this awful crime that is committed among you? Now... Turn those wicked men of Gibeah over to us so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. Uh, What's interesting in this story is that the Israelites are expecting Benjamin to comply with their decisions. But Benjamin, they weren't even invited to the party, right? right, We read that way back when. They know that everyone's going. It's hard to hide 400,000 armed soldiers coming close to your borders. But they aren't invited to participate in this trial. All right, and so they, they're just expected to obey. And what the Israelites come off as is a bully, right? 400,000 men? Hey, why don't you give us the men of, of Gibeah so that we can kill them? All right, they had already made their decision. They were not willing to listen to anyone else. The story of Judges 19 through 21, it's a story of justice and what happens when we pervert it. What happens when we take justice into our own hands? The question is, who gets to decide what is right and wrong? Who gets to decide what happens to those who have done wrong? And it's clear that the wicked men of Gibeah have done wrong, but who decides what happens to them? Well, God has already answered that. The judges do. Those men who have been appointed to discern what is right, to discern what justice is. And these men are bystepping it to take it into their own hands. And the only thing that happens when we take justice into our hands is injustice. The man from Wales who took justice into his own hands, killing at least one and injuring many others, was that justice? It resulted in pain and harm. And it was not justice. And that same thing is happening here as we see this story. The Israelites are taking the justice out of the hands of the priests and out of the hands of the judges, and they're taking it into their own hands, and they're saying, these men must die. They don't even want to hear the other side of the story, which I don't think would have changed anything, right? Like, that's important that we understand that. All right? It's not going to change because they're just going to collaborate what's happened. But oftentimes when we take justice into our hands without hearing the whole story, uh, we kind of mess up, right? This is something I've learned uh, with my children over time. Sometimes the one that's crying the loudest is the one that's actually in the wrong, All right, just because they're crying louder, they probably did something as well. And it takes listening to everybody's story to figure that out. Sometimes I went in there early on and started to yell at the kid that made the other one cry, only to find out that, wait a minute, they had done something first. And then there's retaliation. Again, the the second one's the one that gets in trouble, right? All right, gets retaliation, and justice isn't just punishing the one that calls the other one to cry, justice is given them both. What is right. So, what is justice? Uh, verses uh, 13 uh, onward, the uh, Benjamites, they're one of the more tougher groups of the tribes of Israel. And so, when they are, are shoved, uh, they push back. And here's what happens the Benjamites, they didn't listen to their fellow Israelites. And from their towns, they came together at Gibeah to fight against the Israelites. Uh, At once, the Benjamites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen in addition to 700 other men. Verse 17 the Israelites, apart from Benjamin, they mustered their own battle, uh, own troops, 400,000 swordsmen, all of them fit for battle. So the Benjamites are like, You didn't invite us? We have no idea what you're talking about. Therefore, no, you can't have these guys. In fact, we're going to defend them. Uh, again, they're, they're not listening to the story either. And so they gathered 26,500 men, uh, and they're up against 400,000 men, so they're way outmatched. But sometimes strength alone does not determine a fight, right? All right, just look at the British about 250 years ago. They had more strength, but they lost. All right, and so we 4th of July is celebrating, so I thought we should toss that in there too. All right, so... Just because they have more strength doesn't mean anything. The, the rest of the chapter, ch- verses 18 through 48, uh, we're not going to read them all. We're going to kind of summarize them because it's basically the battle. There's some things I want us to read. Uh, one thing that, that the Israelites do that is okay uh, starts up in verse 18. In verse 18, the Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. So Bethel was probably where the tabernacle was at. And they asked God, who is going to go up first to fight against the Benjamites? Now notice this very important thing, okay? Justice is deciding what God wants to take place. And they come to God and they say, God, who's going to fight for us? They never once asked God here, God, what do you want us to do? God, we're at a conflict with each other. What, what should take place? And said they've already made up their mind what is going to happen. They are going to fight God who leads us, and God tells them Judah. And so Judah leads the army up to fight against Benjamin. The Benjamites somehow rout the Israelite army. They run away uh, crying, and they come back to, to uh, Bethel, and they say, God, what happened? All right, in verse uh, uh, 23, they come to God, and they say to him... Uh, They're they're weeping before the Lord, and they inquire the Lord, shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites? And the Lord answered, go up against them. So we see the shift, right? The first time they just said, we're going to fight God who leads us. Then now they're like, oh, God, should we be fighting? And God says, yes, go. And so they go up again, and they again are soundly defeated. And and it leaves us with this question, if God is telling them to go, Why are they not victorious? And the answer to that is, is I don't know. No one else does either. I don't know why God allowed them to be defeated. The only thing I can think of is this. God, throughout the Bible, says that if you pervert justice, he is not with you. And maybe the reason why they are routed is because they've not yet asked God, God, what are we to do? And they're seeking to take justice in their own hands and decide this is what we are going to do. And it's not resulting well for them. Uh, the last time they come up to God is in verse 28. Uh, we read that, that they come up and they ask, Shall we go on against to fight the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites, or not? And the Lord responded finally, Go tomorrow I'll give them into your hands. And so what, something changes there where God says, I am going to be with you now, and he takes them, and they go up to fight, and, and they do this little trickery where they separate some of their armies. They go into battle. The Benjamites uh, start to kill them again. They feign routing, and so they're running away, and Benjamin is like, yes, we're going to beat them once and for all, and they come out of their city, and they chase the Israelites, only to have this small contingent that was hiding in the fields come in to the undefeated Town of Gibeah, and they kill everyone, not just the wicked men, but the women and the children. And they burn the town. And it's only once they, Benjamin, see the town burning that they realize their mistake, and they run away. And the Israelites kill almost all of them, except for six hundred that escape to the wilderness. And after they've realized that they cannot catch those six hundred, verse forty-eight, the very last verse of the chapter, we read that this is what they do: the men of Israel back to Benjamin. And they put all the towns to the sword, including the animals and everything else they found. All the towns that they came across, they set on fire. See, it's it's one thing to want justice for those who have done wrong. I mean, the wicked men of Gibeah deserved death. There's no question about that. It's something completely different to decide that all of Benjamin deserves to die and this is why i think that this story is one where they started off seeking justice we want the wicked men of gibeah and it turns into vengeance where they are killing everyone everyone that's a benjamite and i don't know what shifted i don't know what took place i don't know if if it was they just got angry that the benjamites were not conceding to their thoughts maybe after a couple of those battles their friends had died and maybe they're just really really mad that the benjamites had killed their friends because they were unwilling to listen to what they had to say and to listen to what they thought was right but whatever it is it results in everyone dying and it's only until the ashes settled that the israelites in chapter 21 realize we made a mistake see vengeance can get out of hand Really quickly. And it can result in in major injustice. One last verse from the Old Testament is Leviticus nineteen. And it says this: Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See the Israelites were not to have in their vocabulary revenge. When there was a dispute between the two of them, they were to come together and they were to find justice together. They were to come together and say, this is what we need to do. And they were to love each other as they did it. They weren't to ignore justice. They weren't to put it on the back burner. They weren't to pervert it either. They were to do what was right. Vengeance can feel good in the moment, but it leads to injustice. When I was in the fifth grade and I took that kid's uh, stuff, I don't even know his name anymore, you know, but I took his stuff. I remember that part. All right. It didn't result in justice being served, justice being served is the teacher fixing the issue. Me, putting his stuff under the thing, made him come back wondering what happened to my stuff and what I felt he felt. It was more injustice. When we are wronged, what are we to do as the people of God? Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. On his head. It's not easy. When we are wrong, it's not easy to return that wrong with love. But it's what God said to do. It's what God told the Israelites all the way back in Leviticus 19. And it's the same thing that He's telling us as Christians, as followers of God, to love our enemies. See, oftentimes we're wronged in this world by people who do not know Christ. We're wronged by people who, who, if we seek revenge, all it does is drive them further away from him. And so in response, when we are wrong, what we should do is love. Because they're going to look at us and think we're crazy, but they're going to ask, why do you do that? And we're going to get this opportunity to share them about Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us in this room today uh, has done something wrong, right? We have all sinned. And we have a God who is a just God and who probably should pay us for the sins that we have committed. But he loved us. And while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die the death that we deserved to die. And so when we are wrong, what we should do is imitate our God. When we are wronged, we should love like He loved us. We should not hold on to vengeance. We should not hold on to our grudges. But rather, we should hold on to Christ. And we should love those who do evil to us. Will you pray with me? Father God, we ask for strength in this. God, it's so easy, it's It feels so good to just get even with those who have done us wrong. But God, you've called us to live differently. You've called us to live holy lives. You've called us to be imitators of you. And when we did wrong to you, Lord, you sent Jesus as a sacrifice to bridge that gap between what we had done wrong and you. And I pray, God, that that we can recognize that in our lives, that we can recognize that we only have salvation because of your love for us. And I pray that, that when people wrong us, we can remember that, and that we can be people who love those who do evil. Lord, we pray for justice to be served. We pray that we use the means that you have given us to bring about that just And I just pray, God, that we will not take justice into our hands, that we will not seek revenge, that we will not bring about injustice, but rather we will love and draw people closer to you by the way we live. I ask this in your name. Amen.